You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. I love you guys. I uh, I need to share a, a joke that I heard from Angela Smith. Where are you at, Angela? There it is. Do you know, do you know why uh, Jesus doesn't wear jewelry? Because he breaks every chain. <laughs> All right, all right. <laughs> I've been sitting on that for a month. <laughs> all right, all right. Awesome. All right, turn to John 13. So good to be with you guys. I, I love I love Upper Room Frisco, all that God's doing here, and uh, I do. I, I just that's how I become comfortable as I get to just pace in this room Monday or Tuesdays and Thursdays. We have a, a group of second years of our USM students of Room School of Ministry that are, we got about 15 of them up here on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. We were hoping some of them would be around, but one of these days we'll get them to share a little testimony of what God's doing with them in this room. And uh, it's an honor. And then I got my daughter up here who's a first year student with USM. And so we got about 60 or 70 downtown that we're teaching on Monday and Wednesday. Then we got about 15 or 16 up here through the week up here. And so we're just training a generation and uh, we want to infect the earth with um, worship and prayer across the earth. And so, Lord, we love you so much. So good to be here with you. I, I just want to carry on in the, the uh, I, some of the messages that Jeremy and Ashley have been giving recently have just been absolutely stellar. have been amazing on community, loving one another, on getting us to our foundations of what we as upper room are all about as far as community, as far as prayer, as far as loving one another, as far as building about the power of the church and the power of gathering. And I I really felt like the Lord just hinted to me, tell them what upper room is all about. Take them to the upper room and uh, take them to the upper room. You know, we throw that phrase around. It's our trademark. It's on out here, upper room. What exactly is the upper room? Some of us have, might, might have different thoughts and, uh, I want to take you to John 13 through 17 because this is, you know, uh, Michael Miller, our founding pastor, had a, uh, uh, got marked in 2007 with this whole prophetic storyline that it, it was out of Mark 14 about a fully furnished upper room that the Lord was bringing for his present disciples and that this was to be kind of the spirit and the anointing on this house and on this movement would be the upper room. and. John 13 through 17, it, it, you ever get asked sometimes um, <clears throat> if you're on an island and uh, you get five chapters or you get one book of the Bible, what book would that book be? All right, let me just break this thing down to you. If I'm on a deserted island and I only get five chapters of the Bible to live on for the rest of my life, it would be John 13 through 17. I want to say that again. These are the five, I believe the, when, when people come to me, I get this asked all the time, where do I start in the Bible? Where do I start? I'm brand new or it's been a while. I need to knock the dust off my Bible. Where do I start? I go John 13 through 17. All right. Now, now just think about that. There, there are, nothing has impacted my spiritual development and life like John 13 through 17. And I want to call this house to looking at it. To, I'm going to do overview today. We're not going to hit everything because it's a gold mine. And we could literally spend the next two years 
walking through each verse, and we wouldn't even touch it. I, I, I absolutely, it's the first place I went when I first got saved. And what I love about John 13 through 17, one is it's Jesus's last night with his disciples. He has spent three and a half years with this ragtag group of fishermen and tax collectors and just kind of riffraffs of society. And he brings them in to his core group. And for three and a half years, I mean, think, we don't understand this in our you know, we're going to leave here and everybody's going to drive back home and we're going to sit watching football on our television or doing our thousand different things we all do. But for three and a half years, they were inseparable. Peter said, honey, I love you. Jesus healed his mother-in-law. So I, I think Jesus literally healed Peter's mother-in-law just to say, hey, he's a good guy. She says, go with him. He was the only one married. The rest of them, were these young, I mean, some, I've heard some scholars say that John the Beloved might have been as young as 13 years old. We're not talking, I mean, we're talking about 13, 14, 15, 16-year-olds. The reason Peter and Jesus had to pay taxes is that they were over 20. So we're dealing with teenagers here, and Jesus has brought these teenagers into the core apostolic group. I mean, their names are written on the New Jerusalem. Their names are written on the New Jerusalem, and they're Galilean fishermen. They're just the riffraffs of society, and Jesus brings them. And for three and a half years, they were in every revival service. They heard every message. They witnessed every miracle, every deliverance. They witnessed it all. And now Jesus is bringing them to the upper room. Jesus is bringing them to the upper room, and John 13 it's going to be after the meal that they're going to enter into this night. But guys, it's a gold mine because this is how Jesus is preparing these weak young men for the greatest transition of human history. That's what he's doing. He is preparing these weak young men for the greatest transition in human history, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the birth of the church. That's what he is preparing them for, and he's putting all of that weight on them. <laughs> and all of their ideas are about to be blown up concerning who Messiah is and what Messiah does. You got to understand, as good Hebrew boys, they had been preparing for the coming Messiah that will come. They were prepared for second coming Messiah. They were prepared for the one that will come in kill all of the enemies of Israel and establish Israel as chief among the nations. That's second coming Jesus. That's second coming Messiah. They had no paradigm for a suffering Messiah. And Jesus is about to blow up their worlds, their ideas and their preconceptions and their biases are about to be blown up as everything that they understood is about to get shaken to the core and what I love about John 13 through 17, this is how, hear me, how Jesus secures and stabilizes weak, insecure people for hours of shaking. This is Jesus' pastoral words of how he stabilizes fearful hearts, of how he shakes us. And guys, I, I really believe this is important. One, because of the gold mine, 
One of the other reasons I believe that it's really important is that Jesus is saying, guys, for three and a half years, I've been living in this intimacy with Abba, but I'm about to blow open a ceiling here so that what I've been experiencing with Abba, I can get out of the way and send the Holy Spirit so that you can get caught up into what I'm calling, it's a wild phrase, Trinitarian fellowship. Trinitarian fellowship, the fellowship of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's the basis of our relationship now in God is that what, that's what Jesus has brought us into through the Holy Spirit. Friend, do you, do you understand that? No, no, I, I know we don't, but I'm saying it. But I want to tell you guys, do, we, we have been given access to the gold mine of intimacy with the Father and with the Son through the Holy Spirit. It's a good day. I don't care how jacked up your week's been or how hard life's been. You've been given access into, you've been given the green card, the backstage pass into the Holy of Holies of fellowship with the Father, the Son. It's a good day. And, and I, why I believe this is important now, it's important through every generation. It's been important for the last 2,000 years. But specifically, I believe we're moving into the, the second greatest transition in human history, which is not only his ascension and the outpouring of the Spirit, but the culmination of this age with the second coming of Jesus. And I believe that the things that Jesus emphasized and prayed for in John 17 is going to be the anointing and the Spirit resting on the end time church. Everybody would call this, many scholars call this the holy of holies of, of Jesus' teaching. Go ahead and let's just look. I'm not going to hit everything, but my goodness, it don't get no better than this. We've got the, the picture of the Last Supper on maybe many of our, you've seen the picture of the Last Supper. All right, it's the, right before the Feast of Passover, one of the feasts where all Jews would descend to Jerusalem, would come to Jerusalem, one of those three annual feasts they would, they would all descend to Jerusalem for, and Jesus has brought them to the upper room, and, and Jesus knows something. John's most likely wrote this book in A.D. 90, so about 60 years. He's now reflecting back on the night where he's with Jesus in that night, and he's thinking about the implications, and I have no doubt the Holy Spirit was helping him dial up the, the, the faces, the, the realities that Jesus was stewarding, knowing that the next day he would die for the sins of the world. And I love that he's going to bring us close. John 13, I'm just going to highlight I, one of my teaching styles, if I've got a little bit of time to teach a lot, is that we're all going to get into, an helico into a helicopter and we're going we're gonna to roll, and I'm going to point down to some peaks saying, you want to feed there. You want to feed there. Oh, you really want to feed there. So can we do a little, little, bit, little bit of that? All right. Every phrase. Every phrase is, I love the book of John, don't you? John just teaches us, and he causes us to slow down and to meditate. Verse 1, now before the feast of Passover, I'm reading from the New King James. Before the feast of the Passover, when Je I love every phrase, when Jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from the world to the Father. 
So Jesus, knowing what's about to happen, I love this phrase, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Woo! He's the God who loves you to the end. He doesn't love you halfway. He loves you all the way to the end. And he had been faithful to take this ragtag group from different groups. I'm so grateful for the Chosen series that shows us the dysfunction and how polar opposites they were and how he can get them all in the same room. And he's going to now prepare them for the same goal, which is taking this gospel to the ends of the earth. He's loved them to the end. He's brought them all the way forward. I love this. So Jesus knows what's in his heart. He's loved them to the end, and we're going to see a reality. And it says, and supper being ended, keep going with me, supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So we see around the table that betrayal is in the heart of one of the core disciples that has been with Jesus. Matthew 24 says that one of the signs of the generation of his coming is going to be betrayal. And Jesus pours his heart into one of his most intimates, and this one has opened a door to darkness, and the devil's already moving on the inside of Judas to betray him. Now, verse 3 is the one that rocks me. Three things Jesus knew. Jesus knowing. Just say the word knowing. Say it again. One more time. See, that's a powerful phrase because Jesus is living with revelation. He knows three things. Number one, the Father had given all things into his hands. Number two, he had come from God. And number three, he was going to God. What does the power of revelation do to you? It produces verse four. Revelation fuels servanthood. When you realize you have everything, you're freed to go to the lowest place and give it all away. Jesus knew he had everything. He was from Abba and he was going to Abba. That produces security not to hold on to tightly, but to take off the garment, come off the table and get down on the knees and to begin to wash these disciples' feet. There's power in knowing. There's power in revelation that frees you. When you understand you have everything, you don't have to hold on to everything because it's been given to you by the Father. Revelation is what fuels servanthood. It's not, I'm walking around, I'm just a servant, I'm just a servant, just put me out here. Now, some people serve because they, they deal with shame issues and they think they got to work hard to get his attention. I don't want you to understand servanthood is the rule of the kingdom and it's because it's what he's like and it's the revelation of kings are the ones who serve. No, it's really good. It's really changes everything. Jesus is going to enter into a prophetic parable. It's going to describe what he's going to do the next day. But it's also a statement of what he did when he descended from heaven. I, when I meditate on he rose from supper, I picture the, the second person of the Trinity who's in heaven saying, who will go? And Jesus stands. And he laid aside his divine garments. He laid aside his divine privileges. Philippians 2 says, though he was equal with God, he did not hold on to something as being, but he emptied himself of all of his privileges and he made himself of no reputation. 
He laid aside his garments and he took a towel. That's Jesus's descent into our human experience, into our human situation, into the brokenness of our world as we know it. That is a picture of the descent of the coming of the incarnation and of the whole reality in which he manifested. He laid aside his garments. He took a towel. Friend, he'd been walking around with a towel for a long time. The very fact that God became a man, he was carrying a towel. Do you know why? Because God is humble. He doesn't just do humble things. Humility is his most precious attribute. God is humble. And humble doesn't mean walking around just trying to stay hidden and do all that. No, it's revelation of you knowing. Everything's already been given to you so you don't have to hold on to anything. Humility is who God is. Every time you ask God, every time we say, come Holy Spirit, you know you're saying, God, would you come and serve us? Every time we say, come Holy Spirit, tell if I just say, hey, Jeremy, come here. Hey, come here, come. Come, we just say, come. And he loves it and he welcomes it, but he's serving us. He's serving us in the room and he's washing us and he's moving. God is humble. And Jesus is inviting us into the very core of the Godhead, which is humility. This is the kind of people that are going to navigate the coming glory and shaking that's coming to the earth is a humble people. A people that don't hold on to privileges, that don't hold on to rights, that don't hold on to positions, and don't hold on to places, but are emptied of themselves. And they go to the lowest to serve the weakest, the marginalized, And we fight for the ones that nobody else is fighting for. We're just like him. But you got to know. All right, he laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself. I love it. And he's going to take the place of a servant. Verse 5, let's go. I'm not going to do this with every verse, though I wish I could. I literally wish I could do this. But we'll get into the helicopter in a little bit. We're just kind of hovering right now before we take off. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. The most base, slave, servant posture of washing feet. The feet that had walked in manure. The feet that was stained by the world. The feet that carried all the residue of the previous day. And he's taking the lowliest place of washing feet, knocking off the stain of the world. He wiped them with the towel with which he was girded. And I love it. He comes to Simon Peter and he says, and Peter goes, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus said, you don't understand what I'm doing. You don't understand now. Everybody say now, which means it's coming. Revelation's coming. You just don't get it now. But you will know after this. Well, Peter said, Lord, you're never going to wash my feet. Jesus says, if I don't wash you, I love this phrase, you have no part with me. Now, this is the basis to entering into Trinitarian. This is the basis of the gospel is you've got to let Jesus do for you what you can't do for yourself. You've got to let him serve you. Here's my question. How well are you? Because I believe this is core to the gospel is how we relate with each other. How good are you with letting people serve you? How well are you from receiving from other people? 
It's the very nature of the gospel, is receiving that from something we cannot produce or give ourselves. Is learning to receive and letting him wash you, letting him do that for you. And I love Jesus. Jesus goes, buddy, the only way you can come up into my glory is receiving my humility. I remember standing, having a full-on vision, like 2001, I was standing in front of the cross, angry that there was nothing more I could do to add to this equation. Not one work, not one prayer, not one sacrifice. I was offended looking at a bleeding man doing for me and that that is my righteousness and that that is my gift of right standing in the presence of God is a broken, bleeding man hanging on a cross and I can add nothing to the equation outside of the value that he sees in me. We're, this is deep waters, guys. But I like deep waters, man. <laughs> he goes, if you don't let me do this, you can't get caught up in my glory. Well, Peter goes, take it all off. Wash all of me. He goes, no, you a grown man. Let me just wash your feet. He goes, <laughs> he goes give me the full bath then, Jesus. Now, I love this. He goes, everything. He goes, no, your feet's good. <laughs> just feet's good. Feet's good. Jesus washed Judas's feet. <laughs> Jesus served Judas. And it's, I don't think it's coincidence that the very next verse, Judas is going to begin to move now into the full plotting of Jesus' death and his betrayal. Anyway, so Jesus does this, and what he does, verse 10, let's keep going, and he's going to begin to give hints right here. Go ahead to the next verse. He says, not all of you are clean. Verse 11, he says, he knew those who would betray him. I'm just going to just keep moving on with me, buddy. Jesus is going to say this in verse 12. He says this. He says, guys, you don't understand. He goes, um, when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he says, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, Go wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus is saying, what I just did for you, look at each other. Go ahead and look at each other. I want all of you to look around the room, and Jesus says, I just showed you how to do it, but I'm not asking you to do it for me or to do it for people below you. I want you to do it to each other. I want you to serve because Jesus is setting the, what I call the wineskin for revival. The wineskin of apostolic government that can contain and steward the glory of God and flow together. And, and also the glory and the shaking and the persecution. Because that first century, Jesus is preparing them for great persecution. Jesus is preparing them for betrayal. Jesus is preparing them for the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That all foundations get shaken to the core when the glory comes. We're not talking about good meetings. We're talking about residing glory over regions. And God's made you the principal stewards of his glory and the expansion of the kingdom. They're going to be, need to be rooted in humility 
and servanthood with one another. You got to break through the walls with one another. We good? Jesus is going to then now begin to highlight saying, guys, there's a betrayer among us. There's a betrayer among us. And guys, we just throw a word like that. When you know betrayal, betrayal is just a word we throw out there. It's got to be the most painful human experience is betrayal. And Jesus knew it, and he told us in Matthew 24, it's going to be rampant in the generation of his coming. And you, you can only be betrayed by people who are already in there. Well, he, he's going to lay it out. The thing that I love is go with me down to verse 20, uh, 21. It's 13, 21. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit. And he testified and he said, assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. I love this. The disciples looked at one another. They're perplexed. Who are you talking about, Jesus? I love this. Simon's smart. He goes, he looks at Jesus. Now, there was one leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Come up here. I love this. Yeah, yeah, come up here. I love Alexis. Just sit down. Now, this is how intimate these guys are. They're at the table, and this is how close. Okay, let's get it, let's get it for Instagram, upper room right here. <laughs> no, no. We're, it, it meant it. John, John was remembering. I remember 60 years ago, we're at the table, and this is how it's after, and they're literally hanging out. And Jesus is troubled in spirit, and he's saying, one of you are going to betray me. Well, Simon looks at him, and he goes, ask him. Ask him, who it is it? Go ahead. Just stay right here. Simon's going to motion to him and ask who it is. Oh, guys, do you want to? I, I believe this. The secret for end-time revelation, the secret for the revelation of God is this posture, the leaning back on Jesus' breast. And here's the, the key that opens the door. Lord, who is it? It was proximity. Jesus answered him. Thank you. That's good. He answered him. I mean, we just kind of pie in the sky. We're sitting like, who is it, Jesus? No, he's literally up against him. Think about how secure and safe these young men were with Jesus. They were so safe and secure with them, they could fight about who's the greatest in his presence. Think about how, think about anybody at work. You have full-on fights in front of your boss about who's going to get the raise. You understand how secure you have to be that the boss isn't going to let go of all of y'all? They're fighting. I'm going to be at his right hand. I'm going to be at his right hand. Jesus goes, I love you, cats. Y'all don't know what's coming. That's up to Father, but your names are going to be written on the new Jerusalem. And Jesus told John, he goes, it's to he who I give the piece of bread, dipped it, and I gave it, and he gives it to Judas, and boom. It just always terrifies me, that verse. After the piece of bread, Satan entered him. I wonder what that looked like. Jesus said to him, what you got to do, go do it quickly. Judas leaves. They still don't get what's going on. As soon as Judas leaves, verse 31, Oh, I love this. This one changed my life. I shared this, I think, on Father's Day. 
Verse 31, Jesus, when he left, I I love this. When most of us think about Jesus being glorified, we think about explosive revival meetings. Jesus is saying, now the Son of Man is glorified. Now it's begun. I'm going to be put on full display. And he's talking about the glorification at Calvary the next day. It just got settled. It just got solidified. I'm going to be glorified in my death. And, the God, and God is glorified in him. If God's glory, he's going to glorify him immediately. Verse 33, I love this. He's going to give a new commandment. He goes, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, and then he gives a new commandment, love one another as I've loved you, love one another. Everybody's going to know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. And just like us, Peter does verse 36. Peter goes, Lord, where are you going? (laughs) Just like us, nobody hears the new commandment about loving one another. Yeah, all that love stuff, whatever. Where are you going? All of us miss 34 and 35. Jesus said, Peter, you can't go with me. You can't, where I'm going, you can't follow me now. But you'll follow me afterward. I told this on Father's Day. Peter wanted to be with Jesus and he goes, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I know what you're looking for. Me to show my unique devotion that separates me from all these other jokers. I can look at them. They're not that dedicated. See, this, this actually exposes the lack of the new commandment in them. Is that they're still plotting and positioning and manipulating and working position saying, they'll let you down. But me, I'm riding with you. I'm your ride or die disciple. I'm going to roll with you into this next season. They'll let you down. Me, I'll go all the way. I'll lay down my life for yourself, for your sake. He had heard Jesus reference about death and he goes, I'm your guy. Jesus goes, I love you, buddy. He goes, will you really? Jesus answered him and said, next part, Jesus, will will you? Most assuredly, I say to you, you will fail me more miserably than anybody in history on the most important night of human history. (laughs) Peter, I want you to understand the greatest failure of all time on the most important night of human history. You're going to do it. This is how Jesus prepares us for our greatest disappointments and failures. When you you discover you're not as dedicated as you thought you were, you're not as awesome as you thought you were. See, this is what happens in the upper room. You get exposed and you come face to face with with the revelation that you're not that awesome. And that all of your great statements about doing tons of stuff for Jesus that you said at the altar call, They don't go that strong. They don't last that long. And he goes, I want you to know, buddy, by tomorrow morning, you're going to hear the rooster crow. You're going to have denied me three times. And I love it. Go right into John 14. One, I love this. He goes, you will have denied me three times. And he goes, let not your heart be troubled by this. When the painful revelation of how pathetically weak your devotion is comes crashing in on your life, don't let it shake you too much. He says, I want you to believe in me. 
I want you to put your faith, hear me, in my ability to bring you where you can't get yourself. To secure you in my Father's house and in my Father's love, and you're not strong enough to get there on your own. The upper room is about the revelation of his ability to bring us where we cannot get on our own. I, I've shared this, I shared it at, at, on Father's Day, kind of painful revelation. Me and Dana went through our engagement. It was a hard season. We get married. I make lots of amazing statements. Go on 240-day fast, the most zealous, intense guy in the world. But I was driven by a secret fear that if I ever let up, I would backslide. Well, we had been in Kansas City a few months, and I go off to uh, Norway with a guy named Gary Weens, and we went off to Norway, and, and we would teach at a YWAM base, and we would teach in the mornings, and he's kind of an introvert, so he'd go to his room, and I said, I guess I'm going to my room. So I spent 10-hour days in my room at some beautiful Norwegian YWAM base looking out the window, and the sun never went down, so, you know, always looking out the window. Um, and Jesus said, I, I got there on the day one. He goes, I want to talk to you about the season you keep trying to forget. And he took me back two years, and he says, Corey, you're being driven by a spirit of fear that there's not room for you in my father's house and that you've got to make room for yourself. Because what he's then going to go into, look at verse 2. Jesus is going to address the core fear. In my father's house are many mansions, which means this. There's plenty of room. There's lots of room. If it were not so, and if it was only for a select few, and you got to show your unique devotion, I would have told you. I would have set it up. Who can jump the highest? Okay, that's good. That's really good. Never seen a jump like that before. He goes, if that's the way this thing operates, which is the system of this world, because everything is performance-based, what you do to get my attention and how you measure up with everybody. And that's what brings you to the next place. Jesus goes, that's not the way the gospel works. That's not the way the kingdom works. I'm going to bring you into security in a place that you cannot get your own way and your own strength and your own ability. It's about faith in me, believing in me. And when the revelation hits you, don't go hang yourself like Judas, Peter. Don't quit. Don't check out. Don't run to other lovers. Don't run to other things. You put your eyes on me. Peter didn't make it to the cross. He wasn't there at the cross. God knows where Peter was those three days. And some of us have been where Peter was those three days. He goes, if it were not so, I would have told you, I'd go to prepare a place for you. Now, I think he's talking ultimately it's the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is Father's house. It's where we're going because it's coming down. We're going to be there forever. It's the security of our eternal salvation. But it's the security of our present place in the Father's house and the Father's heart right now. Well, the Lord walked me through a six-day theophostic session, inner healing session, as he brought me in. I'd been walking with the Lord for three years, done all the stuff, and on that week trip, in Norway, I came into the Father's house. I began to live from within versus trying to prove from without. 
and it shifted everything. And Jesus is securing us. And I, I know, I know we're, we're doing a lot. Jesus is securing us. Guys, I want you to know, he loves to secure weak, fearful, insecure, shaking hearts like ours in the Father's house. He has brought you in, but he wants to specifically and personally reveal that to you. He wants to bring you in to living from within the house. Many, many believers are living in the front yard of Christianity. And I can hear the Holy Spirit saying, kids, it's getting late. It's time to come on in. Many of us are the younger son who have been partying or running in lawlessness, or we've been working so hard in religious perfection. Either fear-based or shame-based, but we're running outside the house. And the Holy Spirit's saying, it's time to come in to Father's house, living from within his embrace, living from intimacy, living out of the overflow of having full pleasure right now. Not when you do the three steps, but right now. And Jesus is going to keep re-emphasizing this point. He goes, guys, I, want, I love this. I'm going to come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know the way you know. He goes, Lord, we don't know where you're going. What you talking about, Willis? Where are you going? What are you talking about? They don't know. They go, why are you leaving us? Messiahs don't leave. You're, we're about to kill the Romans. We're in your club. We're going to sit on thrones next to you. We're about to kill all the Romans and set this thing up. Where are you going? Where do you got to go? Jesus goes, <laughs> he goes, Oh, he goes, I am, he goes, you know the way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus keeps walking them through, and he's now going to begin to solidify his union with the Father. This is just, this is uncharted territories. Go with me to verse 1410. Just a few more, a few more minutes. I, I know. I'll get y'all home in time for the Cowboys game, all right? Look at that. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, he asked the question. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. They don't know where he's going, and they don't know how to get there, and they don't know who he is. He goes, when you see me, you see the Father. Now, he's not, just, he's not talking in his divinity here. He's not talking as the second person, the divine son of God. He's talking as the, the second person, the man who is fully filled with God. And he says, me and the Father are so intertwined that I manifest the Father's heart, the Father's will, the Father's nature, the Father's thoughts through everything that I do. I am a manifestation of the Father. If you had known me, you would know my Father, and from now on you know him. Keep, I'm going to run this. Verse 8. He goes, Lord, show us the Father. Verse 9. Have I been with you? When you see me, you see the Father. Verse 10. Oh, get your seatbelt on. Jesus says, do you not believe that I'm in the Father? Here's a thought for you. Jesus is in the Father. And the Father's in Jesus. This is the basis of our intimacy with God is God's intimacy with God. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. He just goes off here. But he says, I don't want you just looking at mine and Abba's relationship going, that's awesome. That's awesome. Jesus goes, no, 
I'm giving you faith for what I'm bringing all of you into. Hear me. Jesus is setting the foundation of him and Abba's intimacy because go with me to verse 20. Okay, there's tons in here. I can tease out everything, but verse 20. He then does this. He says that that day, the day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and union, you're not only going to know I'm in Father and Father's in me, but this, I'm in the Father and you're in me and I'm in you. We're going to blow this thing open. Guys, these are jacked up folk like us. This is us. This is our story. You have been given intimacy in the heart of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You have access to the divine resource, the divine name, the divine access to his house, living from within, not when you feel like you're there. You're there. You're there. We're not getting there. You're waking up to where you are. That is the shift. And our minds are so unrenewed into thinking, driven by fear of belonging and driven by the fear of acceptance and feeling like we've got to do enough to earn. That is the very war that we must resist in this hour. Jesus says, at that day, you're going to know I'm in Abba. All right, of course, you're holy enough. He goes, but let's just drop a dirty bomb on the planet. And you're in me. See, this, do you want to you change your life? Start walking around saying that phrase. Say, this is what you do in your prayer times. I'm in Jesus. That's what you do in your prayer time. You read that verse, and then you look up at Jesus. Jesus, you're in the Father, and I'm in you. And Jesus, you're in me. So let's think about that. If Jesus is in the Father, and I'm in Jesus, and Jesus is in me, then I'm in Abba. I'm caught up in the fellowship. I'm caught up in the fellowship. <laughs> I just want to punch somebody. <laughs> I love it. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. It's a good day. It's a good day. It's a good day. There's nobody else. There are no superheroes. There's no other group of people. It's just simple folk like us working it out who have been given access in the fellowship of the Godhead. John 15 is all about vine and branches. A simple phrase like abide in me. There's a verse I've been working with Adas. I say it every day. Can you put John 15, 9 up here? Oh, this one will change. This is... I'm working with Hadassah. We, we drive every day, and I'm just working on one verse a week. She's kind of getting tired of this one, but I keep saying it. John 15, 9. Jesus is about to blow open a ceiling right here. It's one of the most important verses in the Bible. Jesus looks at these weak, immature guys. One of them is about to deny him here in a second. And he says, the same way that the Father loves me, I love you. How much does the Father love Jesus? He says, the same way the Father feels about me, I feel about you knowing what you're going to do tomorrow morning. 
abide in my love. Live there. Fix your home there. Live in my embrace. Live in my affections. Live in my enjoyment of you. Live in my pleasure of you. Feel it. Feel it till you feel it. Say it till you feel it. That thing will change your life. Jesus loves you like Abba loves Jesus. Okay? That one's crazy. Go to John 16, verse 12. Jesus says, guys, everybody's going to hate you. Okay, I'm about to release you out on the earth, and it's not going to be rose parties and petals, and everybody's going to be singing your praises. Not a lot of people are going to hate you, going to kill you, try to kill you. Lots of stuff, but I got a weapon for you. I got a gift. His name's Holy Spirit. He's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Jesus says, I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. He says, your little hard drives would just explode if I really started sharing things that are on my heart. You just... You need Holy Spirit within you to even handle what I'm going to tell you. He says, but you can't bear them now. And then Jesus gives us six operations of the Holy Spirit in verse 13. Go to verse 13. He says this. He does this. He does this. Next verse. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, look at this. He will guide you into all truth. Number two, he will not speak on his own authority. We see humility within the Godhead. Holy Spirit submitted to the Father and the Son. The Son submitted to the Father. The Holy Spirit to the Son. He won't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Here's a new prayer. Holy Spirit, what are you hearing? Number four, he will tell you things to come. You want to get prophetic? Ask the Holy Spirit what's coming. Number five, he will glorify me. Next verse, he will glorify me. Number six, he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. These are prayers you can pray. Holy Spirit, take the things that belong to Jesus and make them known to me. Here's a crazy verse. Just go to the verse 16. Here it is. This is mostly fascination. A little while, you won't see me. His death. And again, in a little while, you'll see me. How? Because I go to the Father. How do you see someone who's gone? <laughs> do you know how to see Jesus through the Holy Spirit? Do you know how to behold and gaze on Jesus through the Holy Spirit? How to see his face? See, this isn't wild. This is how Jesus prepared them. And all I'm saying is just deal with it. Just deal with it. I don't have no answers for you. I don't have a little check in the box. Do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to see him? Yes. Look at John 16, 33. I got five minutes. I'm going to enjoy it. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. 
In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. He had overcome it before he died. He had walked through every test and temptation of the devil. He had trusted the Father. They're on the outside of Gethsemane here. Then he does John 17.1. Go to John 17.1. He says this, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And then he did John 17.1. He spoke these words and he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And Jesus said, Father, the hours come, glorify your son that he may glorify you. And Jesus is going to enter into 26 verses of prayers for you. Really, the first 20 are for the present disciples. The last six are for you and me and the end time church. But this is what I love. Jesus taught for four. He prayed for one. He says, now that we've done the talking, let's secure it in prayer. We'll end with this. Go to verse 21. This is Jesus' prayer for the end time church. Oh, I love this. Verse 21. He says, Father, something. Let's just look. I'll read it to you. I do not pray for these alone, verse 20, but I pray for those who you will give me, believe in me through their word, that they all, here it is. Are you at verse 21? All right, if everybody else is, I'm just going to read it. If everybody else is waiting for the wall, just hear me. He says this, that they all may be one. I don't want you to think about kumbaya potluck dinners when you read this. I, I like those. Those are good. We need to have good hangouts and lots of good things like this. What Jesus is praying for, John 17, 21. What Jesus is praying for, there it is, that they all may be one as you father are in me, and I'm in you, that they may be one in us. And what is the oneness that the church is going to be brought into? It's going to cause an unbelieving world to believe in Jesus. That the world may believe that you sent me, verse 22, and the glory which you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, come on, let's keep rolling. Holy Spirit, help us. Guys, I'm telling you, the devil don't want you to have this. This is how you walk out practical living. This is how you change Monday morning. This is what changes me as a husband and a father. This is what changes what I do with my life. Everything else is settled when I realize I've been brought in. the glory, and it gives you confidence of where the church is going. This is where we're going. Not by whatever you read on Twitter or CNN or Fox or MSNBC or whatever's going on with stock market. That's where we're going. And the glory which you have given me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them. Next verse. You in me that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and that you've loved them as you've loved me. Do you know what the end time message is going to be? Jesus, look at me, that Father loves me in the same way Father loves Jesus. Start walking around and make that your evangelism. Father loves me like Father loves Jesus. <laughs> now, the, verse 24. 
Father, I desire that those who you give me would be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. I want them with me, and I want them looking at me. O righteous Father, the world's not known you, but I've known you, and these have known that you sent me. Verse 26, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it. Here it is, that the love with which you loved me would be in them and I in them, which means this, Jesus's prayer is that you would love Jesus the way Father loves Jesus. This is how he's going to cure the Laodicean spirit off the church is that we are dealing with an eternal prayer that will be answered. Amen? Let's stand. I want you to quit relating to Jesus based on how well you think you're doing. I want you to quit worshiping how valuable or worthy or acceptable you feel like you're doing. It's not about you. It is, but it's not. You're not the center of this thing. There's something bigger and higher that's been secured through the death and resurrection of Jesus and the indwelling spirit. That's a lot greater than what's going on with how you feel about how your week's going and how many quiet times. Matter of fact, I don't see quiet time in the Bible. I see abiding in the Bible. I think it's good to have a set time where you reflect that center, but it's about living from an abiding life. Living from an abiding life of fellowship and communion. I do. I, I spend an hour with the Lord. I mean, it's not about that. Some of you need that, but you've made that a, that's a religious checkbox. And now I've done it. Now you go about your life. No, you never leave that place. You never leave the place. You live in communion with God. I'm in him. When you're at the grocery store, he's in me. As the father loves you, Jesus, so you feel about me. That's what you do when you're taking the kids to school. When you're at work, father, I want Corey to be with me where I am. I want him to behold my glory. Jesus, I want to behold your glory. Phrases. I want to abide in you. Teach me how to abide in you. And it starts with receiving his washing of you. I just want you to open up your hands. I'm going to pray for you. We're not going to go that long. Lord, we love you so much. And I thank you. I thank you for these beautiful people. You know the thousand stories, the good weeks and the bad weeks. And all the stuff in between. And I just pray right now that we can take our eyes and put them right on you and see the fierce commitment in your heart towards us and to feel your embrace. God, I pray that you would wash away where some of us are driven by a fear that there's not room in you for us. I pray that you would release deliverance and that you would secure us in the Father's house. Secure us in the Father's house. Secure us in the Father's house. 
Lord, we love you. And I just thank you for Upper Room Frisco. I thank you for the families here. I thank you for the marriages. I thank you for the children. I thank you for the the work that you've given all of us, our jobs, our assignments, our ministries. And God, I just pray that you would bless it. You would anoint us. You would anoint the work of our hands, that you would use phrases from our mouth to shift people at, at work. That you would use a smile to shift something at home. God, I pray that you would move upon Upper Room Frisco. Lord, we love you and I thank you for Upper Room. And I just say, God, make us truly a John 13 through 17 Upper Room family. Do this, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.